Welcome to Forward. Educate yourself on the new world. The podcast of the Forward Thinking Chiropractic Alliance with your host, Dr. Bobby Maybe. Real chiropractic talk. No rainbows, no unicorns. Start putting in the work. The biggest names in the industry. The legends, the innovators, the up-and-comers. This is the podcast for progressive DCs. So buckle up. Passion is the feeling you have that you would probably do this for free, and you can't believe somebody pays you to do it. Welcome, everybody, to Forward, the podcast of Forward Thinking Chiropractic Alliance. My name is Dr. Bobby Maybe. I'm your host. And our guest for this episode is Dr. David Seaman. Dr. Seaman is a professor of clinical sciences at National University's Florida campus in Pinellas Park, where he teaches the evaluation and management courses for the musculoskeletal, cardiorespiratory, gastrointestinal, and genitourinary systems. He's also a faculty member for National's Master's of Science program in advanced clinical practice. Oh, man, Dr. Seaman's gone to a lot of schools, Rutgers University, New York Chiropractic College, University of Bridgeport, Logan College of Chiropractic. Uh, he's authored a great book, The Deflame Diet, and you should definitely check out his website, which will be mentioned in the episode, to get that book and um, other books that are available on uh, Kindle. And without further ado, please enjoy this episode. Oh, and by the way, we got ourselves a new sponsor, so stay tuned for our sponsor's highlights, and I'll talk to you on the other side. Join Parker Seminars in the heart of Las Vegas, February 21st through the 23rd, for an incredible three days of growth, education, and inspiration. Featured among our 37 speakers are world-renowned evidence-based leaders, Dr. Craig Liebenson and Dr. Stuart McGill. The Parker Seminars Las Vegas has the people shark Damon John and Baseball Hall of Famer Cal Ripken Jr. sharing their unprecedented insights on leadership and success. Please visit parkerseminars.com and use our special promotional code CLV50 to receive $50 off our unheard of Las Vegas single attendee registration price. Register today. Pain Zone, my friends. You want some free samples? Check them out. ipainzone.com. I highly recommend them. I use Pain Zone myself a company that is dedicated to the professional you're not going to find these products at a web on a website or on a at a big box store they're for you and you only so you can control the quality of the products you recommend to others and don't forget to check us out pain zone sponsors the pain zone finish at the end of the podcast where we summarize what we've learned from today's episode enjoy All right, ladies and gentlemen, we have a new sponsor. And for their ad, they're going to make me say a whole bunch of big words. So let's give this a shot. Advanced Musculoskeletal Therapies, home of the Miracle Wave. Did you know that shock wave therapy is effective for more than just plantar fasciitis? This cutting-edge technology has delivered impressive success rates in several research studies, including Achilles tendinopathy, lateral epicondylopathy, greater trochanteric pain syndrome, plantar fasciitis, patellar tendinopathy, calcific tendinitis of the shoulder. Once again, Advanced Musculoskeletal Therapies, home of the Miracle Wave, offers acoustic and shock wave technology. 
we're proud to, they are proud to support the Forward Thinking Chiropractic Alliance and welcome an opportunity to educate members on how this technology can improve patient outcomes and drive revenue for your practice. If you're interested, and you should be, contact Gerhard, Mary Edna, and the team at AMT at 770-612-8245. That's 770-612-8245. Or by email at info at amttherapies.com to set up a free consult. And thank you guys so much for supporting the Forward Thinking Chiropractic Alliance podcast. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Forward, the podcast of Forward Thinking Chiropractic Alliance. Uh, I am here with a special guest, highly requested and highly demanded amongst the members of the Forward Thinking Chiropractic Alliance, and that is Dr. David Seaman. David, Dave, how are you doing, sir? I'm doing good. Bobby, how are you doing? Good. Thank you so much for setting this up and agreeing to step up. I think we're going to talk about some interesting things today. Um, one of the reasons that you were not like I didn't grab at you immediately as a guest is because I made some assumptions that were improper. I made the assumption that you were just a nutrition and inflammation guy. And, and quite frankly, I am not that excited about nutrition. So it just, it was a bias on my own end that you were never called. And I apologize to you directly because you're pretty fun to talk to. That's funny. It is, it is interesting how those perceptions work. You know, if you use the word, you're, it's your fault, man. You started talking about it so much. Yeah. Well, it. it was more like that's what people wanted me to do. Yeah. Post land. And so, uh, it's not like, uh, one should suggest that, well, for example, a, a, a vitamin as simple as say vitamin D, you know, it's not like a nutrition thing. It's a, it's a physiology thing. And if, right. if, if one's pain is caused by vitamin D by itself exclusively, which is kind of rare. I mean, I don't even know how common it is. I suspect it's, it's, it's quite rare. Well, then that should be the treatment. And so if their problem is a joint problem, not, there's not a good likelihood that taking vitamin D will help the joint problem if the joint problem requires manipulation. So, so my view has always been um, from the very start when I was in school and I graduated I graduated in 1986, and back then, man, we, we were taught to blister joints. I mean, we were taught to have no fear. And, I, and I've noticed in, in recent years, yeah, the, the, um, the, the more recent grads are, 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 are a little hesitant. We were really urged not to be hesitant. So what captured my mind literally, I don't know, maybe, maybe, maybe the first year, yeah, I was like, I wonder why people don't respond. Like, what is it about people? And I didn't have the word responder or non-responder in my mind, but I just like, I wonder, I wonder why it doesn't work for some and it works good for others. I mean, what, what is it about the patient? And so that's always been, been my question. And you take something like uh, pain, which is the most common thing that DCs deal with. A, a lack of sleep can be, a, can, can be a driver of pain and proper sleep can like fix the whole thing for some people. So it's not like, well, don't worry about your sleep, just eat better, you know, because that would be terrible. That would be like, uh, applying manipulation where you should be applying stabilization, you know, dep- you know if, if it was that black and white. So I, my view is always what's really wrong with the patient. And then I, it really would have been over 30 years. It was, 1980, it was the fall of 1987. I, was, uh, I graduated a year before that. And in New York State, they did not require where I graduated. They did not require CE crest. You could just go on your own if you wanted to. So I went to 
a class taught by a, uh, a British neuroscientist who's a medical doctor who ran the neurologic unit at the Royal College. And his, he spent like 20, 30 years looking at articular neurology. So for those listening, you think, well, you know, in, in their minds, they could pause for a second and think, well, who would that guy be? And if people don't know who that guy's name is, that's almost like not being taught to really penetrate joints. And so his name is Barry Wyke, W-Y-K-E. Right. And I sat in a class and, and lots of, of, uh, of, of a younger and even, I guess, halfway through their career, DCs don't recognize his, his name. And he was writing papers on, on the, 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 the nervous effects of manipulation back in like the 60s. I mean, really like amazing, amazing character. So I sat in on a class uh, that he did shortly after I graduated. And he, I was sitting there for the first time. And, and, and learning when you're in school is not really learning. It's memorizing crap that your instructor wants you to memorize so you can pass that exam. And in some right. classes, the answers would be different depending upon the instructor. That's not learning. So I was sitting in this, in this lecture for you know, an entire weekend, and I, it was the first time I ever looked at pain, inflammation, nociception, mechanoreception, the peripheral and central effects without any fear of exam or worry about the next class. And he just showed the nociceptive system, and he said, here are the chemicals that activate it. And I'm like, man, look at all those chemicals. So really, this whole pain thing is really a, really a chemical thing. I'm like, how did I not get that before? I mean, it was in guidance physiology, but probably in like one paragraph. I'm like, how did I not get that? So I went, I started going to the library and started looking at all the chemicals that he lists. I'm like, man, these, these are influenced largely by diet. And then 20, 30 years later, which is now, those same chemicals are influenced by chronic stress, lack of sleep, sedentary living. So really what I think is the most important thing that we should be focusing on is chronic inflammation and whether or not the inflammatory burden is, is great enough such that it inhibits the effectiveness of same manipulation or would reduce the effectiveness of rehabilitation because we're moving around inflamed tissues. And when people hear that, they think, well, you know, there's no redness or swelling or heat. And they think that's what inflammation is because that's what guidance physiology says. Right. But if you, like I just got back from a convention as we were talking, and after a convention, you're like, my voice is hoarse, fatigued, <laughs> it's brutal. You know, it'll take a day to recover, and this means that my inflammatory burden today, without injury, is greater than it was on Thursday before I left, because less of, lack of sleep, all act, all action, stress that creates inflammation independent of what you eat, and that is the way to look at this the best. Not like, well, inflammation equals nutrition. For some, yes. For others, no. So that would be kind of like the way I would intro the idea. And I don't know if that's uh, uh, endemic to your, it's not even endemic. It's a, I think it's a positive to be holistic in, in your approach or your thought process to, to the, the era that you graduated. I mean, there, I see different eras now. I see an era of, there was like an era of holistic practitioners that was graduated. And then there was this era that I was kind of part of, which was the scientist practitioner era. And then there's the rehab era that we're sort of seeing now. And then we're getting into a newer era of um, like, don't touch your patients era, the, the pain science, uh, McKinsey era of, uh, it, it's progressive loading, but it's first, first and foremost, uh, don't include any contextual effects like touch. Uh, 
or feel I have a friend who just went to uh, McKinsey Part A and, and the PTs that taught the course were saying like, it's wrong to touch your patients is the impression he got. Yeah. And it's like different eras, that era that you're part of, which is also an era that Craig Liebenson is part of. And many of these other people that many of us look up to was like this era of holism where it wasn't just the rehab. It wasn't just the manipulation. It wasn't just manip, uh, nutrition per se. It was looking at the, the person as a whole in a, uh, in, in a larger matrix. And I think that matrix approach is missing nowadays. Uh, we talked about it off the air, like the people who think inflammation is just chemistry, but they don't actually um, include the biology or or the, the the cellular matrix of the tissue that it, that the inflammation is expressed in. And, and yeah. I think they're they're devoid of some understanding there if they ignore that. Yeah, it is complicated. I think the problem is that once you enter any any discipline, you gravitate to something that that suits your, your, your bias. I don't mean bias in a bad way. It's just who you are. Yeah, of course. Yeah. And so people will say, what's the best technique? I said, well, that's, that's a bad question because what's the best technique for you to use? Because, because if you have bad joints, you probably don't want to do a procedure that will beat up your joints. Like me, I mean, I got loosey goosey joints, have a little, have a low grade rectus diastasis. So, 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 so I have to be careful how I load. And so for me, uh, I would probably have been, if I spent the last 30, 30 years doing side posture, I'd probably have, so, I probably would have already had shoulder surgery. Sure. Because I'm just not wired for that kind of thing. So, so there is this, sometimes I guess group think or pack think and, and, uh, and, 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 and our profession, well, elsewhere too, of course, but our profession seems to be fairly fierce because you have these, these, these various groups like, I mean, why would Liebenson have me write a chapter on nutrition in his rehab book if there wasn't a connection? I mean, it's not like that's like right. one chapter out of like 30, right? And there are multiple approaches that one can take. And soft tissue is a great example of this. Like a lot of people in the probably your generation and to the, to, to the current day, the, the, uh, the newest students, when I think about soft tissue, m- most wouldn't even recognize what, what, what NIMO technique is. Right. Right. Oh, yeah, totally. Yeah, it's just like, yeah. And to like not know Nimmo, I mean, Nimmo was started the whole thing. I mean, Nimmo's story is amazing. And almost nobody, nobody knows. He was a Palmer grad. And, and he had, he was six feet six. He was fantastic posture. <laughs> and he, he, he wrote at one point, you know, my IVS were so big, you could like drive a, you know, a, a car through. And I was racked with pain. And he started treating huh. himself. Yeah. Started treating himself with digital pressure over his painful areas and started to get better. And started doing on patients like look at this. There's a pure digital pressure, and that's all soft tissue was for the most part when I started school back in, in the early '80s. And then it has got highly complicated, where it's almost like, well, you first have to do this, this, this before you can do this, and it's very, very. Oh, not, the, the word has escaped me at, at at the moment. But people get trapped in, like, well, you know, if the muscle is inhibited then you shouldn't even remotely exercise it until it is either tonified or or, or whatever or stretched or, or facilitated or blood flow to it don't exercise and people are like oh my god yeah. i can't move I, I, i'm like Dad. it's algorithmic it's like a very complicated order of operations yeah and 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 really in the end is it's i don't think that any treatment should be so complicated when it comes to the thinking process that it wigs you out or to say, well, I'm not really into nutrition as a DC. Really? I guess what you don't eat, 
Right. <laughs> right. The prehension move, everybody learned before they knew anything because the hand will go to the mouth. That's like the first move we make. Because if we can't do that, we die. So, right. so, yep. so that's some, right. I mean, think about that. I'm not into nutrition. What'd you have for lunch? I mean, it doesn't I'm not into nutrition, that. but I, I studied DNS, right? And yeah. the, the first thing you'll learn about infant locomotion is the first hand that's ever made is hand to mouth. There you go. You know, so, first move so, ever made is hand to mouth. Yeah. So the idea of like, I'm not into nutrition. It's like, well, you mean you can't tell somebody to eat less donuts and have some more salad? I mean, <laughs> why, why is that like so complicated? So people say this. And I hear them even say it in conventions, and they say, well, I'm this kind of guy or that kind of guy. I don't know anything about, about, about nutrition. I'm like, what do you think you have to know to tell someone to like, eat less calories that are pro-inflammatory, which like sugar and flour, and eat, eat more healthy ones? I mean, why is that such a, an objectionable thing to do? I mean, first stuff, if, if all one did, I'm not saying they should do this, but if, if one's doing zero rehab, just teaching appropriate abdominal bracing for that person or hollow, whichever one you want to go with, I don't know where the, where the debate is now. That would be better than nothing. Right. And that's where people really get where like, I've got to know all this stuff before I can do something very, very not so complicated. I think some, cause we had a, we had a breakdown in the, the, so the forward thinking chiropractic Alliance would be admittedly a younger group that is much more rehab centered. So when, when, when things that aren't sort of in that paradigm get introduced in the group for discussion, um, I think they get flamed out. They get burnt down instead of having, instead of having a logical conversation about the topic. Um, so one of them recently was about nutrition in general. It was originally around CBD oil, but it was mostly about nutrition in general. And I think where people really got burnt down or the, the, the divide is there are some people who do use nutrition in this holistic delivery manner. And then there's others that are just selling stuff. Right. And I think people are opposed to just selling stuff to patients, um, becoming, yeah. becoming retailers. Well, well, that would hold true too for pillows. And yeah, no, totally. And totally. Else. Yeah. So, so why not just, why not just uh, deliver to patients? And of course, anything that you do, I mean, obviously you're, they're selling surgery too. So why not, why not sell surgery to the people who actually need it? And why not sell supplements to the people who actually need it? And and do, and think of it and think of it like that rather than going full tropic thunder against something just because you had a weird experience with it or your orientation mentally isn't is is isn't really where where it should be. It's orientation mentally, and I think uh, that's where the the ideologies and the biases come into play. I mean, if someone introduces a a product that you would put inside your shoes to align your pelvis. And you don't like that product, you're you're probably better off offering education to the group as a whole versus just trying to machine gun down anyone talking about that item. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. And the CBD thing is 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 kind of intriguing. Let's just say it was, and I don't know all the details of it because it's I, I really don't care that much, frankly. Um, but let's just say that it was any DC in any state or any country would be allowed to recommend CBD oil. You know, it's like, well, how would one look at it then? Well, first of all, if you wanted to do it, you say, well, what is in CBD oil? And you, and the first thing that, be, and it's very simple, like any other botanical, basically polyphenol bioflavonoid-like substances. Right. And every, every ginger, turmeric, they all have a unique polyphenol profile. So should you use it? Well, try it. And if it works, use it. If it doesn't work, don't. 
And that's what they found when they actually applied to patients. Some people got in just in terms of pain, great pain relief. Some had no pain relief. And that's no difference than adjusting somebody. How do you know right. if adjustments are going to help somebody? I used to get asked questions because I used to teach um, a fairly decent amount of, uh, of, uh, of uh, neuroscience classes. And manipulation would come up because, I mean, why learn, why learn uh, neuroanatomy and physiology in the context of ablative surgery of the, of, of, of the globus pallidus for Parkinson's disease? That'd be kind of stupid. We're never going to do that. So it's ridiculous, right? I mean, and, and that's like, I know what we should do. Let's focus on Marfan syndrome because that's a really simple condition to identify. And we can talk about muscles. Yeah, you have to like yeah, one in right. 10,000 Americans have that. Let's, so you may never see one ever. Ever, right, yeah. Ever. Ever, ever. So, so I'll be asked the question, hey, do you believe that adjustments can help X, Y, Z? And I go, well, I don't know. Adjust them and see if it works. And if it does, it works for that person. And so it's always about, it's this weird, I don't I think it's a lack of, you know, not science. Almost to me, science is almost like an excuse for some as, as, as they would charge those with having a belief system or religion about something. No, no, it's, 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 it's much more criti- critical thinking skills. Like those are devoid, yeah. you know? Yeah, yeah. And I think where it should start is physically. Technology. Yeah, and, my my yeah. arguments, which I mostly get uh, harangued in the group about when I do provoke an argument, it's usually a critical thinking one. Um, like, did you think about the epistemolo- epistemology of what you're saying, or did you think about the ethics of what you're thinking or what you're saying in the post? You know, like CBD oil, that's great that you can do it, but should you? And how are you measuring? And what are your objective tools? And how do you know when it's time to use that as a tool? Or when is it, when is it time to not use that with a patient? When is it time to use manipulation as an intervention? When is it time not to? And how are you objective or how do you measure those sort of things? And uh, people lose their mind on that stuff. They're like, ah, I don't know. <laughs> it's, uh, it's the something about Mary. You know, the guy in the car invents seven-minute abs and then... Uh, Ben Stiller's like, well, what about six-minute abs? Like, no, man, no, no, not six. We're talking about seven-minute abs. <laughs> it's like you got to it, think it's about bizarre, where you're coming. It? Yeah, it really is. Yeah, I, and I, I, don't I would know. say it was bizarre if it was not normal. Yeah, it's yeah, normal. Yeah, you're right. It is completely normal. But the, I think it hurts people in the real world because y- you you start to say uh, this is the way things work, and and that helps because it's nice to have certainty and and. It's nice to be able to stand in front of a patient or a, a group of potential patients and say, this is the way it works. But if you're wrong, it takes a lot of, it's a kick to the shins to go back to the drawing board and say, hmm, maybe I was wrong about that. Maybe it works a little bit different. Yeah, you know what's really interesting about that is that because, because I'm not a, an MD, I don't know if, if they think this way, but um, my experience with DCs is that they really feel like they need to have an answer that they can give a patient it has to be sound for the patient. And, 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 and they had these ideas about how to talk to patients as if they're like, not, not, not humans right. first. And then the other is that when you look at medicine, uh, you know, is this going to work or is that not going to work? It's almost like when you, when, when you look at the way MDs just talk to patients about their condition, it's never about, I shouldn't say never because someone might go crazy about the word never, but it's so commonly about here's, how you're going to live with your condition that we help that we that we can do nothing with and so you know you're going to learn to live with your pain and you're going to learn to live with your diabetes you're going to learn to live with your this and uh our 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 treatment effect is maybe 20 percent, and that's a fantastic thing so 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 they often get sold on a 20 percent improvement as a treatment success and dcs want perfect 
gone symptoms or whatever it is uh, completely. And that's like such a, an odd way to look at it because that actually applies to glucosamine, which was interesting when it was first introduced years ago. It's going to cure arthritis and joint pain. So everyone right. goes out and buys tons of it. And then for the first three months, everybody's practice who used it, it worked great. And then, of course, the placebo effect wears off and it's not great anymore. And then glucosamine sucks. Let's try something else as opposed to, well, what? And this was really intriguing. They found that researchers using glucosamine, they used 20% improvement in pain as a marker of success. Now, if you're a DC and every patient comes in with a, 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 a five out of 10 pain score and you only took them to a four, I mean, that's like a failure for the average DC and for me too, but that would be considered a fantastic success for a group. And so even that stuff, if you don't know that, then success with any treatment, particularly nutritional stuff, uh, is problematic. Like, how should, what, what do I use for this or that? Should I, should I use ginger? What can I expect? I don't know. Yeah. yeah try it first and see. It is a lot of uh, smoking gun. It's, it's, it's also, I've already used the word, but I'll use it again. It's endemic to the profession as a whole. Me and uh, my friend, Kevin Christie, we have a small group we call the Chiropractic Success Academy. And it's not consulting. It's, it's more like an inner circle, but we provide um, mentoring um, uh, for money. <laughs> but uh, um, we asked the people in this group, like, you know, what do you need? What do you want? What kind of information? Because you know, me and Kevin consider ourselves information curators. We know we have sources to get the right information from the right people. And everyone in the group, not everyone, once again, we don't want to use all that kind of word, but a lot of people in the group, when it comes to say business solutions or marketing solutions or practice management solutions or any of these other solutions that aren't necessarily specifically patient care, but also the patient care stuff, they, they're like, what's the quick fix? You know, what's the magical uh, Facebook ad? What's the magical sort of like marketing group? Or, or is it Toastmasters? What's the thing that I do that works the best? And it's like, it doesn't work like that. Everybody is so different, not just physiologically speaking, but in your business environment, which is its own uh, 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 network of things, you know, your marketing, the way you market your practice, they, they have their own biology around them or their own matrix around them that you have to figure out. You have to go in and explore this stuff. You can't just there's no smoking gun quick fix. And I think some people are nervous about that with nutrition. And I see people getting nervous about that with rehab nowadays too. Like you see those questions come up. What are the magical four exercises? There aren't hmm. a magical four exercises. Do you think that is the, um, the, uh, the iPhone or, uh, well, most of them, I guess, are iPhones, but, but the personal mobile device attached to your, your, to your body at all, at all times? I think it's part ego. Quickly. I think it's part ego. I think it's part um, uh, um, the the colleges, not all of them, of course, but most of them, uh, giving every single student the idea that they will be successful in this venture where it's an entrepreneurial in, uh, venture that you're going into if you're going to be a chiropractor. Like they've given them the idea that they might work in a hospital or in a multidisciplinary clinic. And when you get out, there's always going to be a way to win. And technically, yes, there's always a way to win, but it breaks down in the same entrepreneurial setup as everyone else. There's going to be some people that win really big 
there's going to be some people that have a pretty good life with the profession they chose. And there are going to be a huge chunk of them that are just going to fail. (laughs) And none none of the schools are like, welcome. Thank you for giving us all this money for your student loans and all this other stuff and your tuition. By the way, a whole bunch of you are really going to be bad at this and you're going to fail. Yeah. That is a problem, isn't it? So they see the people who are succeeding and they'll say, okay, so I'm supposed to be succeeding just like him. He's successful, but they told me I'd succeed too. I have the same degree he does. So what's the trick? What's the trick to Dr. Jones and his multi-million dollar practice empire? Maybe there is a trick. Maybe that guy is really, really uh, on his game (laughs) or her game, you know, because there are some amazing women chiropractors out there too. It's just like you, you would be better off uh, selling your soul to follow Dr. Jones around and learn what secret sauce that doctor has. Is it their compassion for people? Is it their never ending drive? Do they, you know, it's uh, Professor Jordan Peterson. I mention him often. Uh, University of Toronto professor of psychology. He's an urban myth and a legend nowadays. But he says you don't you don't compare yourself to somebody else. You compare yourself to who you were yesterday. And uh, and I think there's just a lot of like I deserve that too. So where's mine? And what's the neat little trick to get me there? Um, uh, another. Yeah, thing- I think that people should actually just 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 real quick is listen to Peterson in the context of. Uh, personality types and figure out who you are as opposed yeah. because yeah and and that's a and that to me is is really interesting because because then, then it that goes back to my original interest back when I was in school is like why do some people not respond like what's unique about them that they don't respond to this thing that we're told that they should respond to <laughs> yeah because people David it's the same thing it's like we have non responders as patients and we as chiropractors we have non responders in our field they're like people who don't respond to the call of being a chiropractor. They'd be like, oh, you know, well, I, you know, sports, sport and spine clinic. I'm not, I don't, I don't like to use the word chiropractor. There are people who say that and it's like, embrace it, man. You chose it. Right. You chose it. Live it and do it. Be the best chiropractor. DC, uh, practice to the full scope of your, of your license. Uh, do everything you can to help figure out a, the way to make the world a better place with what you got. You know, I don't really hear too many people saying these these days, you know, what do you do? Now, for me, it's a little bit different. What do you do? Chiropractor. What do you practice? I get serious. So I just tell my, (laughs) I I just kind of like modify like my description of what I do because, uh, but, but otherwise, what do you do? Well, I'm a chiropractor. I wouldn't say, I mean, professional athletes, the military, they love chiropractors. Why do chiropractors not love chiropractors? I don't get it. That's really a weird thing to me. It would be like, um, if you were out at a bar and you were a single guy, and you were trying to land a date and, and uh, you just weren't proud of yourself. Imagine how many dates you would land, you know, as a single college guy. But if you went around and you were like, I'm Dave, I'm Dave, I'm David Seaman. I'm, Hey, how's it going? You're like, Oh, there's some confidence there. It's right. the same. It's the same thing. And it, it doesn't just uh, translate into getting patients. It translates into other people wanting to work with you or other people wanting to have you come to their event and speak. And it's just like, I think there's a big, it's weird dichotomy. There's like a pride piece missing and then there's too much pride. It's almost like an overbearance of pride in that, in some of this behavior. Um, And that's, that's real world. So uh, we don't in the forward thinking chiropractic Alliance as a, as a rule, we don't have vaccine discussions. You see how I turned the, the pace really fast there. 
Yeah, that was like out now, of nowhere, dude. Now that now it's like really quiet in in the internet. Like whoever's listening to this, it went to space and back, and you're listening, and you just got a little thump thump in your heart and your chest because we might mention the word vaccines. We don't mention them in the group just because I have not found in my experience chiropractors who are able to rationally discuss the issue without it devolving into a complete nightmare of an argument. Yeah, it is, it is a nightmare. There are facts somewhere. <laughs> they're, yeah. they're out there somewhere, um, but it doesn't seem like either uh, quote-unquote side of the profession is able to meet in the middle and discuss facts appropriately. Yeah, We see it all the time in the one side of the profession that says that the vaccines are the complete evil and it's the government injecting robots into your bloodstream um, for this ultimate mind takeover. And then on the other side, we see uh, that they are the, the absolute necessary and there's absolutely nothing wrong with the vaccine ever. Um, you should never question the safety or efficacy of vaccinations in our population. It's all been figured out. It's been the greatest life-saving venture that medicine has ever created in their entire lives. I, yeah. I would call bullshit to both. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Exactly right. Yeah. And say, show me the answers. Um, yeah. And, and you, we, you experienced that a little bit. Uh, what was it? What was the topic? What was the... Oh, there was Because you can't discuss vaccines. You can't just say vaccines. You have to say like vaccination for a specific condition because they're all different. Yeah. It it had to do with, I think the the World Health Organization has this this piece that that describes six myths about about vaccines. Like, and and, and I think number one was there is, uh, there was a substantial reduction in infectious disease before the vaccine era due to improved sanitation. Uh, and really, if you look at like where, where vaccines kind of kicked in, it seems uh, most aggressively would have been around like 1963 ish, 60 ish. That was, that was when the measles vaccine kicked, kicked in. I mean, there were others before that, obviously, but uh, that, that would be sort of the era when there was the sanitation improvement and, and the hygiene and, and water is clean and you're, and you, and you have, and you have uh, heaters and ACs that work and all that kind of stuff. So the uh, the myth is that there was a reduction in in in, in infectious disease uh, cases per year during that era, and it, you could look and find that data if you went carefully, I suppose. But all what's very very clear though is that is that the death rates dropped precipitously uh, from uh, infectious disease. This is right on the CDC's website and it's in pediatric journals. It's not even like remotely conspiracy theory or art. Yeah, I have the graph in my mind. I, I know which one. Yeah. And so that's all I said. And these guys went ballistic because, because they couldn't get past that there. Um, well, I just, I still don't know what they couldn't get past because, uh, you know, I, they, they just, <laughs> they just struggled with it and name calling. And I'm like, I was talking to pre-vaccine era, man. The pre-vaccine era is the pre-vaccine era. And if, and if death rate dropped before the pre-vaccine era, well, then it wasn't because of vaccines because they weren't around yet. And yeah. cases like and you can see for measles after 1963, it was before 62, 63, it was like 450,000 cases per year. And then before the 60s were over, it was, it was, the line was so, it was literally a, a, a vertical drop in number of cases. And that's because of measles vaccine. Uh, and so, 
but death rate dropped precipitously before uh, there was the vaccine. So death rate and cases are two separate things, and these guys equated them. Yeah, there was a false attribution to the vaccine. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, wow, this is really emotional from the 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 people who claim to have a a a scientific perspective on this. And it wasn't a surprise to me that that would be the case, but I didn't realize how violent it would be uh, in the fashion that um, the so-called science uh, chiropractors or evidence-based chiropractors charge these the 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 super straights with being emotional to me it was like an equal i'm like wow this is really interesting and it can be and it is um yeah do you think well it's it's a public health question because if it's the world health organization they're they're attributing death rates and sanitation throughout the world and uh, a lot of people who are in the scientific side of things tend to be somewhat ethnocentric that everyone has the same level of knowledge as them the same level of sanitation, the same access to health. Um, but if you take in the world account around that time, the sixties, there probably wasn't much sanitation going on in, in some of these underdeveloped countries. You could probably give more credit to, if you were going to start throwing credit around probably to like the Peace Corps or some of these other founding groups like Rotary who were much more, um, inspired to go into underdeveloped countries and build up sanitation and fresh water and shelters and things like that. I w- it would be interesting if there was a study out there about the Peace Corps and how much sanitation they brought to the world after Kennedy started it in 61. Hmm. Yeah, I, I, I never really thought about that because I just looked at what we were talking about before. And it was, I mean, this is all to me, this is, isn't even a, a conversation about vaccines. Because it isn't talking, because it because happened before they... <laughs> precisely. It was, so it what's was, the historical thing that was in, integ- integral in this case to cause death rates to fall so sharply? There has to be something else you can attribute to it. Yeah, and that is... So that really was... like This is, this is, this is a big argument about vaccines and, 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 and MDs came in and they're going after me also. I'm like, dude, we're talking about when there was no vaccine or particularly measles that vaccine so this isn't even a vaccine topic so imagine that the word vaccine is used it's not a vaccine topic and people are going crazy (laughs) and and that's well that's how arguments get conflated so when we did have our cbd oil discussion which uh devolved rather rapidly it devolved around somebody calling them supplements saying well cbd oil is just a supplement so i don't see what your big problem is type of thing you're being an asshole (laughs) it's like whoa whoa, whoa. how do you this 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 isn't a podcast Wait, that have, yeah, yeah. No, this was in the in the forward thinking oh, Facebook group okay. in the forum. Yeah, right. And it's like I went to look up CBD oil deficiency, and I didn't get a whole lot of information. I got, you know, I got uh, eCBD uh, deficiencies are a real thing, but you can usually um, uh, improve your your deficiency by eating like spinach. You know, <laughs> right, 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 right. But is spinach a supplement? I mean, how, how are you classifying supplements? It, it got a little squirmy there for me. Um, and to think that, uh, that the, the extract from a hemp plant is a supplement, I was like, okay, all right. Um, we'll let that one slide. <laughs> well, you know, the interesting thing about, about that is that it, it seems, and I can't, and I haven't like traced cycles of all this, but every several years, I don't know if it's every five years, there is a new... Uh, amazing curative botanical that appears on on the market, and right now it's CBD oil. That yeah. is the big one. 
and panacea like yeah pan- panacea like i mean and, and since I've, I've been in the profession i guess i mean i guess crazy to me i think i started i started chiropractic college in 82 so we're talking 36 years and i watched the cycle when i started thinking about it where these panacea things happen and and i'm thinking wow, this is i I, I do not get it. Uh, uh, and people have argued with me. Oh, I have such great success with CBD oil. Yeah. Everyone in practice has great, you know, it, you know, something is probably because you have confidence in it and your confidence is transferred to the patient and they believe, and then now everything's better. And it's because, because of belief. <laughs> right. Contextual effects, placebo, yeah. all those other things. Yeah. Does your, does your generation and the younger guys, do they, cause, 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 cause I'm, geez, I'll be 60 in two years. just pathetic. Uh, so like, I'm like, <laughs> Dude, dude, I'm heading towards like the final tier. You know, if, if, if you break down lives in terms of thirds, the first 30 years, you don't even think about it. Right. Uh, and then between 30 and 60, if you are one of those guys and you talk about getting old, you say, ah, ignore it. And then when you pass 60 and you are, you're like, oh my God, it's really, it's really happening. So, <laughs> so I, so I'm moving in that direction and oh hell, I forget the context of that, but I'll put a little bit of bike come back. It was this generational supplement every five years, a new panacea sort of shows up. Yeah, 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 yeah. I was going somewhere else, else with it. You've seen but, quite a few of them, I'd imagine. Yeah, yeah. It went somewhere else, but we'll get back into that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, well, I was talking, there's some other divergence, but we'll, uh, let me just think real quick what it, what, what it would have been the, uh, eh, nah. New, new topic, and they'll come back. Well, to my uh, my father in law turned seventy a couple of years ago, and his his father passed away when he was seventy. So wow. he immediately started living the narrative that well, my my dad, my pops died when he was seventy, and I'm seventy, so it must be time now. And he started yeah. living his life like he was about to die. Wow! <laughs> uh, he would go to his medical doctor and be like, "There's got to be something wrong with me," and his doctor would give him a full checkup and be like, "There's nothing. There's nothing wrong with you." Like, no, there's got to be something with my heart. You have to look deeper. Uh, you know, he, he found the right MD to give him the, uh, the diagnosis he needed for the medication he didn't need and, and so on and so forth. And then he turned 71 and he didn't die. <laughs> and now funny. he's living life like, uh, like you should as a retired person who worked really hard their whole life. He's traveling and he just didn't die. And now he's just going to keep living. Yeah, that that is that's very very funny. I kind of remember it now. So there was it was a placebo thing. I was talking to this one guy, and he had this great, great success with uh, with 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 uh, with with CBD, and and therefore I'm 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 wrong as well. Well, if you look at the nocebo effect, which of course is the opposite effect, there was a great paper. It was published in the journal Headache, probably about fifteen years ago, and they described. Uh, and when I was in college, if you took Psych 101, part, part of your course was you had to be, you had to sign up for a uh, grad student's um, research project. And so this one was about headache. And what they did with the, the, the undergrad subjects is they came into the room, they had them sit down, they put uh, electrodes on the head, like one on either, one on either side. And so we're going to turn this on. It's a subthreshold electrical. Pulse, you will not feel it. There is no danger at all. The only possible side effect is headache. And oh no! And they and they and they turned maybe the the light of the machine on to suggest that it was turned on, but it wasn't plugged in essentially in terms of the electrodes. They were just it was just dead wires. And sixty six percent got headaches from nothing. 
<laughs> now that's scary if you're a believer in cures for things because then the immediate reaction is, well, well, so you think everything is belief and only belief? And then I'm like, I don't understand why you just can't say that belief is part of it. What you uh, eat is part of it. Your lifestyle otherwise is part of it. The treatments that you deliver is part of it. I mean, why can't it just be you know, a combination of factors? And I would think that this goes back to really bad training in terms of physiology in the practical sense, rather than memorizing pathways for exams. Yes. There's that. And, and then so we can combine yours, your assertion and mine, which is that there aren't enough uh, critical thinking skills in the students or taught to the students before they enter this level of education for them to discern this stuff on their own. It's, yeah, it's, 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 it's not. I think critical thinking is correct. And I think also when several healthy years, skepticism, would you use like the word healthy skepticism? I, I agree with all. I mean, I do agree with what you're saying. I think what it is, is again, it's, it's critical thinking is one thing. And then embracing physiology and pathophysiology is, 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 is the other thing. So that one's thinking should be my view, and I'm not saying I'm right, I'm saying this is my view, it seems to work for me. Like, for example, before there was uh, this idea, and if, if, if you take my name out of the picture and you put diet and inflammation online, you'll see stuff, right? right. I mean, it's not right, just me. Right, of course. Yeah. So, so, but what I experienced back in 1987 when I first saw that in my mind when I was sitting in that class, I experienced it in front of me in the in the clinic because I had patients who, I, who, who were not responding that well and they modified their diet and man, all of a sudden, like their back pain was better. It wasn't, it was, it was a handful of people, but I'm like, wow, how that's like really a cool thing. I wonder why that is as opposed to, well, it can't, that can't exist because, you know, there isn't a double blind trial that. Oh really yeah. Happened, oh yeah, yeah. Right. No, yeah, so, I, I think a lot of the younger folks are conflating, um, like comparison studies, like the person had exercise versus adjustment for their back pain and which one did better. Therefore, the one that didn't do better isn't, as a, isn't effective. They're, com- they're conflating that with evidence-based. When there's a, yeah. whole, there's a whole scale, there's a whole ladder to go up and down. So you can't get into a, philo- uh, a, a physiology discussion, like what's, the, what's your evidence about the physiology? Um, it's everywhere. <laughs> right. It's not going to be in a comparative study because what, what physiology would you compare it to? It's not, you can't blind that stuff. Yeah. Blind so I, I, therapy. I, 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 I'm in agreement with you the way you use the language, but then there's this, you know, so how do you deal with patients? Well, I'm a evidence-based patient-centered blah, biopsychosocial, blah, 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 blah. Just be a chiropractor. Just yeah. say that that's what a chiropractor is now. Yeah, you know what's really interesting too about the whole biopsychosocial model, which which people are pushing, is that they think that somehow the psychological domain is different than the biologic domain, which is different than the mechanical domain. And I'm like, really? So you think you can have mechanical back pain, and then if you if your mechanical treatments don't work, then you actually have a psycho psychological factor driving your pain, even though. You said it was mechanical, therefore it couldn't be psychological, but they're separate. And they don't realize that, like, well, the biggest driver of, say, pain in, in, in any population, well, in terms of musculoskeletal stuff, for sure, is depression. Yeah. And, and if you look at depression, depression is an inflammatory state. And that's like, 
people say, well, how was the brain swelling? No, it's not. <laughs> it would be, it would be like, for example, let's say that you and I got into a heated argument. We're screaming. You and I don't gain weight. We may get red in the face a little bit, but we don't like gain weight and swell. But the argument is inflamed because the language is inflamed. And that's really what depression is initially, the language in the nervous system. And this is there, I mean, there are pictures of this. And this is where it'd be a great way to, 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 to apply physiology to our memorization fest in, in chiropractic college. And because everyone learns on national boards for national, it's just all it is. You'll, well, in general, um, well, let's see, what vitamin, you know, what, 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 what amino acids are precursor for niacin and you should be picking tryptophan. And that's pretty much it. And what else does tryptophan become? It becomes serotonin and melatonin. And so that's pretty much you, what, what one graduates with, with knowing. And then if someone's going to be taking antidepressants, the most common one, of course, is a, a serotonin reactive inhibitor. Yeah. And so the physiology view of this is, uh, okay, so we're made of chemistry. We move. We create. Our, we, we move. We're moving chemistry. It creates more chemistry. That doesn't mean you have to know it all. It means that that's what it is. And so if you have a failure with something that is uh, manual therapy, where it is a passive treatment to a patient, you need to ask a question like, what's up with their chemistry? And if they've had a recent death in the family, something psych- psychologically catastrophic for them happened that screws them up, they're stressed out and they're not sleeping, a low-grade inflammatory state occurs as a consequence of that. And it's immune cells and non-immune cells releasing cytokines, for example. And when this happens, the conversion of tryptophan to serotonin is diverted down to the niacin pathway, but it goes down this thing called the kynurenine pathway. So when you have these inflammatory cytokines being produced, neurons produce less serotonin, and they release less serotonin uh, even in the context of how much they make. So you have a vesicle with a bunch of, a, a bunch of serotonin molecules, and less is released. So you make less, you release less, and that which is released is reuptaken much more rapidly. And that's the, the, a, a good chunk of the chemistry of depression. So to think that something, and, and you take those same cytokines, by the way, and inject them into the SI joint, you got, you got low back pain. That's crazy. Yeah, it's the same chemistry. And if you take that same chemistry of depression and you make it chronic enough and you, and you drop it, like say in the hippocampus, which is typically uh, or at least historically, and you're old, you got Alzheimer's. You take that same chemistry and put it into your heart, you get atherosclerosis. And that's not that complicated. That's basic stuff. Yeah, the, even the the research is pretty clear that uh, it's we all we all know sort of like back pain leads to depression. But what a lot of people don't understand is the research also says that depression leads to back pain, or and other pains, and other pains. Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah, because because depression is. It's pain chemistry, but the first sign is depression in that patient. Well, no, I mean, that makes perfect sense in sort of a, if you want to go towards these pain science guys like Alormer Mosley, Butler and Mosley, and their explanation for why pain exists and what happens. And it's, it's this protectometer uh, pain and depression and all these other things are ways of our body and our nervous system and the brain, which could be part nervous system, part immune system, and then and all that, it's a way to modulate between these uh, safe versus danger, fight or yeah. flight. Am I okay yeah. or am I not okay? And then the not okay is a drive to get the person to change. 
what I usually tell my patients is all you get is a signal. You don't get an answer. <laughs> if you have pain, it's a signal that something has to change, but it's not the answer. Right. If you're, if you're depressed or sad, there's a signal. And then we have to use uh, either you're going to figure it out on your own or you need a professional to help you figure out what the signal is trying to tell you. What, 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 what helped me out years ago when I was confused about pain is that I, I came across, and I don't remember how it happened. It was first that Barry White experience, but then I got, I got turned on to the International Association for the Study of Pain, became a member of it. It was really like only Craig Liebenson and I and a couple others who were members back in the 90s. And um, I, 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 I start to look at pain from the perspective of the nociceptor. Yeah. And, and to me, that takes away, like I'm not down on, on uh, Mosley's stuff. I'm just not up on it. Because right. I would, I prefer to just look at it at from the perspective of the nociceptor. And now, the thing about the nociceptor beginning, now I, and this is where language is is really important. And it's really funny. I'm really into language, and of course, I don't know where I suck with my language because <laughs> because you don't know where you suck until you find out that you suck. That's the thing. Yeah. So 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 when it comes to um, nociception, if you look at the 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 in the beginning of it is almost like from from a, a non phd scientific perspective from a practical perspective the spinal thalamic neuron beginning in the dorsal horn responds to the same chemicals that the nociceptor in joints respond to so it's the same chemistry people say well you got center you got peripheral no 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 yeah, right if i'm depressed if i'm depressed and you were able to just stick a needle into my brain and jack out some fluid and then you draw some blood, you'd see the same flame taking place peripherally and centrally. They're not uh, separatable. I should keep going. <laughs> yeah, keep going. No. Well, um, so, so, so when it comes to um, how one looks at pain, I, would, I, I don't like to create like those constructs of, well, pain is in your brain. It's not over here. It's not there. Because, right. because when you look peripherally, you rarely see pathology to the extent of the pain. And therefore we think, well, it's because it's not there. It has somehow moved to the nervous system centrally, which is kind of foolish actually, because, because if someone has, you see, you cannot see pathoanatomy if your CRP is six versus below one. You may have no pathoanatomy, have a CRP of six, flaming like crazy, and you have peripheral nociception, that does not appear to be that way because you do not have changes uh, on, on imaging in the periphery. So there's artificial separation that exists because we want to see things in pictures and images and you know, bone out of place or restriction or whatever it is, as opposed to for okay. me, embracing yeah. the physiology. Yeah. It's almost like the, uh, a train is heading into the station and all the tracks sort of line up. And it's not one track yeah. and it's not the station and it's not the train. It's the train, the track and the station and the bell ringing and, and, and the conductor. It's all of it at once. And, and, and for me, when I look at this nociception inflammation thing, I think, you know, that would be a great place. Cause even something as simple as everyone learned this in school at one point, it's you know, a central unifying theory. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think everyone has to have some version of that so they can just keep their, their thoughts working together rather than being discordant because then you live in cognitive dissonance. And then if that's where you live, your practice will fail. You cannot yeah, live totally. there. 
No, I think no susception. No, no susception would be a great central unifying theory. It, it unifies manipulation and it unifies nutrition. It unifies rehabilitation. It unifies the biopsychosocial approach. Um, and you take the chemistry of nociception, you drop that chemistry into the heart, you have atherosclerosis. So by knowing nociception, you know heart disease. So wellness, that's yeah, cool. yeah, that that's is pretty cool. cool. If um, you know nociception, then you know type two diabetes. Because what's really interesting when you think about, um, well, you know, you've got this this soft tissue problem, and you are and you're fibrosed, and because some some chiros get into and and pH NPTs and 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 NMDs and DOs the whole fibrosis idea, and you're stretching fibrotic tissues. When it comes to, say, type 2 diabetes, there is a loss of beta cell production, beta cells over time, and they're replaced with fibrous tissue. Yeah. <laughs> so if you, know, if you know type 2 diabetes, if you know type 2 diabetes, then you know scar tissue in, 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 uh, in, in the musculoskeletal system. And good, good liver Adip- liver tissues replaced with adipose and gunk and yeah same tissue. thing Fun. yeah fatty liver the the process of fatty liver is the same chemistry as atherosclerosis i mean it's slightly different because the parenchymal tissues are different but it's the yeah. same chemistry so fatty liver is base, and then cirrhosis is basically a disc herniation when you look at the chemistry <laughs> and speaking of that you know wild yeah it is but if no, you look at is. the chemistry it's all the same and that's the thing i also said about about that the, the whole autism thing, which when we start talking about vaccines, when you look at what an autistic brain is, a lot of work has been done recently. And I, this is really interesting. So if, 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 if the listeners were to say, well, let's see if he's right. All you got to do is either Google or PubMed autism and interleukin 17. And then Google or PubMed uh, uh, disc herniation, discopathy, interleukin 17, and then obesity, interleukin 17. And guess what all those three different conditions that we think are different have in common? Elevated circulating levels of interleukin-17. So to me, it's all the same in general, you know, not specifically. Right. It's part of a cascade and you have to sort of yeah. know where that sort of breaks off. What's interesting... What about, that allows... What the, no, go ahead. Go ahead. Please. No, no because you're on a thread. I don't want to start a new one. Oh. Oh, oh, go ahead. I mean, we can Unless I have to. Unless I have to. Go ahead. Start a new Um, one. You know, it's like, so this group of progressive chiropractors will sort of, it's fun to, it's always fun to have a whipping boy. And it seems to be that the the straight chiropractors are the whipping boy. And some of them do very well deserve it. No, (laughs) and it's fun. Absolutely. It's fun. Yeah, absolutely. I also contend that those uh, straight chiropractors were right. They were on to something. Their explanations and their science might not have been correct. But look at, look at what they talk about when they talk. They talk about, you know, you go to like a dynamic essentials seminar or something. It's like talking about your language. Talking about being, uh, you know, uh, let's go Jordan Peterson, standing up with your shoulders back, having good posture. Um, being a, a positive influence in your community, nutrition, making sure that you're healthy and fit. Um, what is that fella? Uh, Dr. James Chestnut has a, a book, Wellness Prevention Paradigm, which I don't know how accurate it is, but it talks about these basic, there are basic essential things that we need in our lives to make sure our physiology is correct and accurate. Um, 
you know, uh, the, 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 the primordial chiropractor was on that stuff. Their explanations weren't on, but they were on it. Uh, and they're not wrong. Like to, to manage this physiology, if you want to talk about this central unified theory of, of nociception, the way you talk matters, how much sleep you get matters, what you eat matters. If you exercise or not, it matters. If you have healthy relationships in your life, it matters. If you've eliminated the financial stress in your life, it matters. If your body is functioning properly and has strength and some, some modicum of flexibility, depending on how your body's sort of shaped, you might be more predicated towards strength or flexibility, but that stuff matters. Um, they weren't wrong. They weren't off. They were actually quite on, but some people have bastardized that concept along the way to make some bucks and uh and so yeah. what's, what's interesting with that is if, if 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 one looks back like like t- to me i'm not anti bj palmer even though people say well how could you not be that because it's all his fault and like, well you look at bj <laughs> palmer's clinic bj palmer had the most updated rehab clinic there was probably in in the midwest uh, back in the fifties. I mean, he had, he had carpet, you know, the, 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 the carpets around or the mats around the exercise equipment all had his signature in there over the door of the clinic and said, for those designed for those who do not respond to medical care or ordinary chiropractic adjustment. So, so when, when he's basically saying, Hey, you know, rehab is important for the rehab people who are the rehab responders. Right. And then that same rehab book that I, or it was like a clinic book. It was like a, it was probably a, a was it 11, eight and a half by like 11 sheet of paper, you know, big, big book. And there's a picture of an organ player in the clinic where they're just like, and they have people in the waiting room, either. I'm not sure that it, I, don't, I don't recollect. It could have been before or after or both. And they're like resting and sleeping They're They're, there's like a fish tank there, I think, and they're kicked. They're, they're, they're laying in a lounge chair. So it's not like all he did was do ASRPs, you know, atlas adjustments, and that's what some super straights think, and that's what a lot of the anti straights think, as opposed to this guy kind of had it wired in early on. But the problem for us back then was that for a huge part of, well, from 1907, and very few people know this, and I was surprised to find this out. I'm like, how come the alleged only nutrition guy knows this. It's like weird to me. But B.J. Palmer, uh, from 1907 to 19, I think it was 20s, some point, maybe 26. I forget the, when it ended. But that was the era when we had like 3,300 cases of practicing medicine or osteopathy without a license delivered upon chiropractors. And the first case that was, success, I think it was, may have been the first case, it was a Japanese um, Murakubo, so yeah. The, yeah, 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 Shigatora Murakubo. The guy Wisconsin. was from across Wisconsin. Yeah, yeah, right. So now, how many, how many uh, Japanese were living in like northern Sweden, basically you know, in 1907? <laughs> None, right? So if you can defend this guy, uh, you could defend anybody. So what? The, so the defense was the unique philosophy of chiropractic, and that's when B.J. Palmer said, like, what well, we we had to legally squirm using lenients to 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 keep the chiropractic profession alive we didn't diagnose we analyze we didn't treat we adjust we don't cure innate cures except if you go back to 1903 when bj palmer had massive full page ads in the davenport times i cure everything oops yep. 1907 
I cure nothing. And so the super hardcore philosophy crew, they think that it was a special thing that is like uniquely chiropractic and, 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 and yeah, holistic. Like, and yeah, he was Moses and he came down from the mountain. Legal argument. There's yeah, a legal, legal argument yeah. that, 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 that became a quasi-religion for some. So the anti-BJ guys should take note that that dude manipulating, psychosocial, sleeping, and exercise. No, he was a cool so, cat. No, he was a cool cat. Yeah. Um, uh, the the whole like the whole cash grab stuff with the uh, the the little thermograph thing, uh, you know you gotta you get everybody makes mistakes. You gotta kind of like forgive some transgressions. <laughs> he messed yeah. up there, but um, yeah, that yeah that that was a mess up. But otherwise, we we when you look at the broad the broad scope of things, or uh, you, you you see a very interesting history. And Didi Palmer, I mean that dude, he he. I never even heard that there were accessory spleens in the human body. Now I've read his book and he says, Cunningham's anatomy says this, Gray's anatomy, like accessory spleens. I didn't even, <laughs> I only thought we had one. I mean, this guy was all over a lot of information in his day and to just discard it or to embrace it incorrectly hurts the profession at large. But the problem is whenever anyone is hardcore and they're thinking, as you well know, and they are forced to give it up, Unless they have some place to go, they have cognitive dissonance, and therefore they do not go in that direction. So the the, the war goes on. Yeah, he's he's a Abe figure, Abe, Abe Lincoln type figure in my mind. Like at yeah. one on one end, Abe Lincoln gave us the country we know today, but on the other end, um, there was a lot of carnage in the process, and the right. the, the South had to burn. <laughs> and yeah. now the south doesn't the south they're not huge fans of abe lincoln and you know it's just that sort of analogy i i i mildly and i'm not putting myself near a bj palmer by any means but i mildly get at where he might be uh what what befell him by starting this group this forward-thinking chiropractic alliance because uh you do have to burn some bridges um you, you think you know what you're doing and you make mistakes along the way, and um, and then you also create something. I mean, B.J. Palmer was the developer, but he created chiropractic as, as it is today. And you don't necessarily want to just give it all away until you know it's gonna your vision's gonna be fulfilled. Um, My suggestion for anyone who has issues with the whole B.J. Palmer story is that they should go to Palmer's homecoming one year or get permission otherwise and do a tour of uh, the BJ Mansion. Then you learn history in a little bit more context. And uh, I did that. uh, I mean, I I spent a lot of time in that mansion at two of their homecomings and and learned a lot. And I'm like, wow, this guy was really cool. And I wish the Palmer people would, would would embrace him for the coolness that he actually was rather than, the misinterpretation that goes on in the war. Because yeah. I was given that book, by the way, by a uh, 60 years ago Palmer grad taught by Gonstead himself. And he goes, look at this. I'm like, wow, look what BJ goes, yeah, look at all the stuff he did. And how, how no one knows this? How, how, how is this possible? So it's... <laughs> you know, and it's a tragedy, the people who own chiropractic history, and I just used air quotes there, the ones who run the historical societies when the when bj palmer as a discussion comes up uh they're not talking about that stuff they're talking about moses coming down from the mountain they're they're trying to make make a uh a almost quasi-religious figure out of him 
instead of this human being that did good and and did uh, error error errorous things, if that's even a word. You know, you got to make I would me and and this is my perspective is to make human out of this person, not make uh, uh, Dalai Lama out of the person. Are you referring to the Association of Chiropractic History? Ah, darn it! I didn't want to say any names. Those guys, wonderful. Uh, no, I said it because wonderful people. See, I would disagree with you. Yeah, I would disagree with you. But I they have a bias and they have an objective. Well, well I, that's not my experience. Maybe I haven't read it, read it enough. Uh, because if you look at papers that they published, the most one of the most hated uh, chiropractic uh, critical. Uh, well, Joe Keating. Keating. Lots Keating, of people yeah. don't. Yeah. So Joe Keating published many papers in that. In that in, in in the chiropractic history journal, and so if they're publishing Joe Keating, and Joe Keating was like you know, scathing criticisms, and uh, but he was really published in the eighties and nineties. These days, it's it's um, oh, there, there okay. are some there are some people because Keating passed away two thousand four five somewhere around there, so yes, maybe in the early two thousands he was being published as well. Um, okay, there are certain people who control the that group that are trying to control the narrative of what history is being told and what history is not being told. Not all of them, because some of them are descendants of Keating in a way that they are very, very realistic about the history of chiropractic. And then there are others in that group that want to sort of um, mold it to a certain perspective. So the book that I would suggest that the listeners, yeah, the book that I would suggest with the listeners, yeah, uh, uh, look at is, is uh, I think it's, it's Keating's, maybe his last book is called BJ of Davenport. And that was published by the Association for, uh, of Chiropractic History. Yeah, and they, they it's, can it's even a read it online. Story. Yeah, it's a great, great book. And, yes. uh, and I think that people who are pro and anti-BJ should read that book because uh, it gives a picture that is much more colorful. And, a whole, and to, to me, it shouldn't even be like an issue of contention, to me. For, but for others, of course... It is because when people hear me talk, they come up and say, so what you're saying is this, I go, I didn't, it was kind of like the Jordan Peterson interview with what's her face, Kathy, whatever. Yeah. So what you're saying is like, no, that's not, that's not what I was saying. I, I didn't. So you're saying that, 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 that I should stop adjusting patients and just give supplements. No, this means, you know, so there, I think that the Jordan Peterson discussion about IQ might fit in. How could you hear that? If the, those words were never uttered. That really speaks to ideological possession. That, that's perfect. I think yeah. that, that's a big primary um, issue. <laughs> so when, when we, we're going to do two things to close out. One, to close out okay. um, advice for the up-and-coming young chiropractor or student who's out there now, based on your experience, based on that good old golly gee whiz. Thanks, Dave. Uh, advice that you would give around the fireplace to a couple starry-eyed students who are asking you, "How do I, how do I do this the best I possibly can?" Okay, um, I will look at it like this because you mentioned before, Mackenzie, you don't touch patients. Activator is clicking a gun. Uh, cert- for me, if I had been practicing all these years using my hands on people, I probably would be uh, crippled just because <laughs> right, of my right. loosey-goosey joints. So for me. Uh, and I remember, and I remember watching, do you remember, uh, oh, what was his name? 
oh, I can't remember the the the, the uh, bodybuilder, but does 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 the name Peter Gratali ring any bell for you? Mildly, Pete, Pete mildly. Gretali. Yeah, he was in my class, and he became a trainer of uh, of uh, one of the uh, Mister Olympians, and and so Pete was in my class, and then there was this. Uh, young woman who was in my class who probably weighed 100 pounds and he was five feet tall and Pete's my height, 6'2", and weighs probably about 250. And so there's no way you're going to look all, well, and they can take, of course, some women who are five and they're just like that strong, but not the average, you know, not the average. The, the average woman is not going to be banging out push-ups and, and, uh, and pull-ups unless she's a CrossFit chick. So this was a very, very um, not well-muscled female. And so there's no way she should be doing the stuff that, that, uh, that Dr. Pete was doing. And so I think that students should first find procedures that suit their body type. And if, if it doesn't suit your body type, well, then don't do it because you'll get injured. And then now you have massive debt and you're injured. And the malpractice insurance days uh, are not nearly as robust as they used to be. So you have to pick what suits your body type in terms of procedures and your mind, what suits your mind and I would add the caveat, as long as it's physiologically based. And then find those people who are in practice, go, go shadow them and watch what they do and see if, if their practice style suits your psychotype, a la Jordan Peterson, because you brought them up. And then orient yourself in that direction and do not compare yourself to someone who is a guy who's 6'2", 250, if you're, a, if you're me, 6'2", 170, but as Lucy Goosey as my classmate who was a 5'2 woman weighing 100 pounds because I would be equally beat up as she compared to Dr. Pete. And to me, if you take that general approach, then you have a much better chance of being the most successful person that you could be. Perfect. My final closing one is um, I'll use myself as an example um, and then you can go off. I'm a big boy. I'm husky. 64 probably around 260 on the worst days, so 250, 255, 260. Um so that puts me in in the what around a BMI of like 31 30 31 32 somewhere around there. Um but genetically speaking, I'm blessed because CRP is always very classically low, not a lot of joint complaints and all that stuff. But I don't want to be this big. I saw myself uh, pictures of myself on the stage at Forward KC. And I said, I don't want to look like that on a stage. Um, of course, I want to have more energy and, and be a little more flexible and all that. This is not a medical intervention. Just using me as an example uh, without giving any specific medical advice, what would you tell a husky fella like myself? Well, the fact that your CR Or scare is the low. crap out of me. Scare the shit out of me and say, if you don't change, this is going to happen. Well, here's what I would do in addition to CRP. And this is, this will be minorly, shamelessly self-promotional, uh, but everybody has learned basic lab work. And this is where DCs get afraid to, oh, I don't do labs. Well, everybody knows what glucose is, not a big deal. If grandma can take out a glucometer and check her glucose, a DC can do the same thing at home and get comfortable with checking glucose. Okay. So what I would do, yeah. So what I would do is I would, is, is I think that uh, everyone listening should get a glucometer or in your case, get a glucometer and check yourself. You need to also make sure a, a buddy of mine who was, this is interesting, actually, uh, 5'10", 195 pounds, 
a small bone, unlike you. Like I have probably, in, in terms of bone, the smallest male bone formation you could possibly have. And this guy, we're basically the same. So at 195, his BMI was 28. Oh, wow. He wasn't feeling well. He wasn't feeling well. He was, he was thirsty and urinating a lot. He goes, maybe I got diabetes. So he goes, all right, this is what I'm going to do. In case I do, I got to have a plan. This is a smart guy. I have a plan. So he goes and gets a glucometer. He does his fast. He goes in, gets the blood drawn from LabCorp, goes out to his car and, does, and checks his glucose. 300 fasting, full diabetic. <laughs> he gets back. He's like, he's like, I hope that this is wrong and is proven wrong by LabCorp. But he was there because he figured he had some version of this. So he gets his LabCorp results back and they're essentially identical. So now he knows that his glucometer is his marker without having to go get stuck every, every, every day or week. So he checked every day. So his hemoglobin A1C came back and it was 11. It should be below 5.7. So he was uh, like, hey, I'm a full, I'm a full, I'm a full on diabetic. And like any good Kyra, he's like, screw this, I'm going natural. So mm-hmm. he decides to do uh, my recommendation, which is no sugar, no flour, no refined oils, and uh, replace them with vegetation, basically. Not a plant-based diet, which, by the way, is radical, vegan, confusing language. People use the word plant-based. Well, the, the, the paleo diet in, in, in Africa or different parts of Africa was mostly plants. Other places it was not. And based, of course, means the base of the pyramid, not the entire thing. So plant-based. Um, when I say vegetation, I'm not. People say, you must, you're into nutrition. You must be a vegan. No. <laughs> I'm into not eating sugar, flour, and refined oil. So that's what he did. That which foods, which fruits he could eat that spiked him. All the berries, for the most part, never gave him a spike at all. Other fruits did. So for some people, fruit's the problem. Some people, it's not. So in six months... He tells me in the middle of this, because he, he, he didn't tell me initially, because I'm three months into this thing, I'm going to tell you when I'm all done. So at six months, he sends me his, uh, I mean, this guy kept track of this stuff day by day, week by week, and it was really amazing on, a, on, a, on an Excel spreadsheet. In six months, he goes from 300 fasting to about 110, so he's pre-diabetic. His hemoglobin A1C went from 11 full-on diabetic to 5'7 mm-hmm. in six months. So his BMI was 28, dude, 28, and he was a full-on brutal diabetic. He went from 198 or 195 down to 175 in that time period. And so my point is, and this is, this is a great way to look at this in terms of being objective, is you need to measure multiple markers, not just CRP. I mean, odds are pretty strong because CRP goes up commensurately with blood glucose and lipids typically. So CRP is a good way to check, but easiest way is glucose. So if your glucose is elevated fasting and two hours postprandial, odds are your CRP is up. So what I would do for anyone who is, well, really, if, if they're interested in this is check your pre and postprandial glucose. And if yours is up, Bobby, then you got to like make some more rapid changes because your CRP, because nothing, none of the stuff is like hundred percent correlation. You just right. maybe a low CRP guy. You, know, you might be a, 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 a high glucose guy. So yeah. what I suggest that you do is do something very simple. You just get a tape measure and do waist-hip ratio. That becomes the mark because BMI is accurate for, I would say, the vast majority of people, but waist-hip ratio is, is how you correlate whether or not BMI is correct or determine if BMI is accurate. So your BMI well, is up. Uh, bioimpedance analysis, but that's okay. a conversation for a different day for sure. And not one with me because that's, that's not my game. 
So, so I would do waist-up ratio. So the average person who can't afford a, 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 a bioimpedance machine, waist-up ratio correlates with like lipids, glucose, endotoxin, depression, onset of diabetes. I mean, it goes on and on and on and on and on. So what I would suggest that you do is get your waist-up ratio down to uh, below 0.95. And that means you take the tape measure out, go around the umbilicus, either inch above, inch below, or at the umbilicus, depending upon where it's the biggest, and then go right around the greater trochanter, which gets you the most glute mass, and you divide waist by hip, and you need to be below 0.95. Oh, I got a big butt. That's really easy. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And then and then women. Now, again, though, so, okay, so you say my waist-up ratio is great, even I is high, I'm well, then you got to make sure your lipids and your glucose is good because because all this right. stuff is not a hundred percent, right? So you can't so you, you can easily trick yourself one way or the other. So so but waist to ratio and BMI typically correlate quite quite well. And so and so for anyone who wants to control their body mass, uh, now now all those markers by the way were in my first book, the Deflame Diet, which is a cheap Kindle book and it's not that that expensive otherwise. And when I was writing that book, I had many chapters on, on weight loss. And then I realized that people um, go into a, I don't know, a, a, a psychosis state when it comes to food. And they think, <laughs> that, well, this guy thinks that the only way you can lose weight if you do his deflame diet thing. And that's not it. If you are from uh, the Arctic Circle, you can achieve normal body weight by eating uh, seal meat if you want. If you're from Catawba, which is down in New Guinea, most of their calories come from, get this, it's kind of interesting, sweet potatoes, yams, taro root, papayas, mangoes. Those are most of their calories and no heart disease. So you can do it in many, many different ways, but the idea is to, is to, is to eat at a caloric level that gets your uh, waist-up ratio, BMI, and lab markers to normal, and then make, make those markers the goal rather than this supplement, that supplement, this special new superfood or old superfood. We just found this. They there were yaks down in the Amazon and yeah, they dropped turds yeah, on the banyan tree. And it, we did found that about recently. And on top of this grew this special herb that has all this. Yeah. Oh my God. It just goes on and on and on and on. Forget all that stuff. Stick with basic stuff that everyone had already learned in school. And then and then and then for anyone the the I saw so I separated the weight loss stuff from the from the deflame diet stuff, yeah. and the weight loss book is basically if you have Amazon Prime, it's free, and I wanted to make that book absolutely free, but Kindle can only let you go down to ninety nine cents. <laughs> so if you don't have Amazon Prime, the book is ninety nine cents. Basically, that's free, right? It's like it, it costs. So today at the at the hotel, a large cup of coffee was like four bucks. So you're talking about a quarter of a cup of coffee at the hotel. And so you can get it that cheap. And that book is about the, the, the multiple metabolic, psychologic, emotional, primordial drives that make us fat and how to use the prefrontal cortex to modulate those drives that push us to overeat. That's what I would suggest the average person does. And it's a hundred pages paperback. I don't know how long it is, Kindle, but that will give someone an idea as to the battle that they're up against, whether you're whether you're overweight and want to get back to appropriate markers, or if you're appropriate weight and want to prevent yourself from uh, developing appropriate markers and becoming overweight. Because I, in my mind, in my in, everybody out there is obese, either absolutely physically and mentally, or just mentally. 
Like I'm an obese guy mentally. I'm just not there yet physically. And I fight it. But mentally, my brain wants me obese because Bobby, if the, yeah. if the big one hits, if the big one hits, dude, and yeah. the economy crashes, the economy crashes, semen is dead long before big daddy may, uh, maybe. Because That's you got right. all these extra I'm a survivor, off. man. Yeah. You're a survivor. That's right. So I don't that have to eat other reckon. people. I just eat away at myself for like a good couple there. months. <laughs> there you go. And I'm dead. I'm dead. Yeah. So I'll come find you. So, you could come <laughs> and we will survive together. The world Thank you, needs sir. You. The world needs you, Dave. Thank you, sir. Um, huge treat for me to be able to talk to you for this long in, uh, you know, a one-on-one, but it, it serves a purpose for the audience. But um, I well, am. Thanks for having me and I had a great time. Yeah. I'm, I'm overly impressed with you and I, I would love to talk to you again at any moment. Sure. Um, you know that people are saying that Dr. Seaman needs to be at one of our events talking. So let's discuss that off the record as well, too. Okay. Sounds great. Uh, get your voice back, and uh, I hope you had a good convention down there in Florida, and I'll talk to you soon. Thank you so okay, much. Thank you. Take care. All right. Bye. All right, everybody. This is the part of the show where we do the pain zone finish. Dun, dun, dun. This is where we wrap up the show, give a little synopsis, and we talk a little bit more about Pain Zone, one of our sponsors. Be sure to check them out. Get some free samples at ipainzone.com. Uh, recently, oh, last week, I had something that is very rare for the chiropractor to have on their own. It's like a dentist with cavities. I was a chiropractor with low back pain. Uh, <laughs> we, have, we have a toddler that likes to do uh, cannonballs off my back. Uh, onto the mattress when we're on bed and um, she decided to do a cannonball and didn't clear my back and landed right right on my low back and it took a couple hours for it to start to sting a little bit and I went through my workout tried to lift a little bit tried to squat a little bit and realized that I wasn't going to make it uh, went home and before I can get all the TLC that I needed from uh, from my personal chiropractor and, and get some hands-on therapy my wife pulled out the bottle of pain zone and said, uh, why don't we put some of this stuff on and give it a shot? So let's do it. I'll do it. I'll do anything at this time moment. Um, and she put the pain zone on, you know, that stuff's really smooth. It doesn't feel like much when it's going on. It doesn't have that astringent biting, stabbing, alcoholic heat, cold thing that you get from other uh, analgesics. It was very smooth. It was smooth like butter. And then when it started to kick in, which takes a couple seconds to a minute or so to kick in, it, it worked really nice. It worked really, really nice. It got me through the day so that I can do all the other stuff I needed to do and then get, get on with my business of fixing my own, my own back. So uh, I, I personally, from my own personal experience, not just with my experience on, on patients, but on my own body, definitely recommend Pain Zone. You should check it out and get your free samples at ipainzone.com. <clears throat> but dude... David Seaman, brilliant, yeah. Um, I'm he's he's probably one of my favorite people to talk to. That's probably why we went 20 minutes over talking to him. That that gentleman has impressed me with his intelligence. Um, I hope he was entertaining to you guys as well. You might notice something about the Seaman conversation and others if you've listened to other podcasts where we've had somebody with a lot of experience on the show, and they always seem to reference. Uh, 
a, a breakthrough moment where they learn something from somebody maybe in a different profession. So you take Liebenson and, and his uh, experiences with the Prague School. You'll take Dr. Leonard Fay from last year and his experiences with some of the old school orthopedic and neurology based uh, physicians that he had dealt with in America and in the UK and probably Canada too. Dr. Faye's been everywhere, but it seems like everybody who has made a breakthrough in our profession in the past has learned something from another profession when they were young. So don't be afraid to uh, young docs and students who are listening out there to expand your learning horizons beyond just this profession and what this profession has to say, but uh, find some synergistic uh, educational opportunities between multiple professions. Uh, and nowadays, with the power of the internet, that should be even easier than they had it. Those guys had to go out and find this stuff. Uh, you can probably find it from your couch. So that is our pain zone finished. Dun, dun, dun. And I hope you enjoyed this episode of Forward, the podcast, the Forward Thinking Chiropractic Alliance. Uh, we'll see you again soon. And um, I hope you have a great whatever the hell you're doing. <laughs> Bye.